This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the show. If you're new or returning, I'm glad you're here and you tuned into a good one because I sit down with Clay Hepler today and we go all into the uh, cash flow banking system. Uh, what does it mean to build lasting wealth for generations? And what are the families like the Rockefellers and those wealthy um, families doing to preserve their money over time? Because, you know, it is said that the first generation earns it, the second enjoys it, and the third squanders it. So we definitely don't want to end up like that. We want to build lasting wealth for uh, generations. So we talk all about that. We talk about acquisitions, how he's finding deals today. He's also house hacking a triplex, so we could uh, go into that. And uh, just overall good stuff, a gambit of topics that are very relevant today. So make sure you stay until the very end. So with all that being said, I welcome onto the show Clay Hepler with The Creative Capitalists. Clay, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing tremendous. It's a little cold here. I'm talking to you from a three unit in old, you know, Pittsburgh mansion. And unfortunately, when we bought it, we didn't have the money to to put in insulation. So our furnace is working hard, but I can feel the draft here in my podcast studio. Wow, wow, wow. So you haven't insulated it yet, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so last year we unfortunately when we originally purchased this property. Our contractor took the $10,000 from us that was allocated towards insulation. And so it was kind of like the last thing that we had. So we were like, well, I guess we're not going to have insulation. We'll just put in really high efficiency furnaces. And it worked, but you know, not as well as it could have. Yeah. Now all the units have that issue or just yours? So as you know, it, physics, you know, heat rises, right? So we're yeah. on the second floor okay. and our first floor tenant is like sitting pretty. Our third floor tenant has a smaller square footage and we put a furnace above him. So the, basically the heat comes down into his unit. So it, it, it's actually pretty effective, but the way that our unit's structured for some reason, it's just the worst unit. And so we have like this wind tunnel of draft that comes in through our, our walls. So, you know what, it's, you know, it's a, it was a good first house hack, but not, you know, not, you can't get everything right on your first deal. No, no. And you're house hacking. I mean, you're doing it. So I'm sure it's worth the, you know, colder temperatures for sure. Right. <laughs> it's all worth it. Well, cool, man. Welcome to the show. And why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and when your aha moment in real estate came about? Yeah. I mean, so that, that's a really, that's a really great question. You know, I was, I, I think I have to kind of give my, my whole backstory here so your your listeners can really understand. So I was on the fast track to work for the government. I was on the fast track to work for the State Department. I went to college specifically to work uh, in the embassy, United States Embassy. I speak Spanish and Portuguese. So I wanted to do U.S. Latin American bilateral trade, economic, political relations. And I went to Buenos Aires and I was doing work from the for the embassy down there. And it ended up really just not working, not working out. I, I 
was like, I, w- I don't want to stamp passports for five years just to get a, you know, a raise. Uh, so I dropped out of college for, you know, for a semester. And I said, Hey, I just want to take some time off. And that time off turns in turned indefinite. I haven't gone back yet. And during that time period, I joined a family business, which was a luxury chocolate business. So we sold chocolate to higher end specialty shops, you know, think about like Whole foods, but like smaller whole foods, small businesses, and, you know, hotel chains, like four star, five star hotel chains. And when I was doing that, I met this guy that was, you know, basically owned a bunch of businesses in the Washington, D.C. area, these specialty shops. And this was kind of his like retirement gig. He had like seven businesses, you know, specialty shops. And I really befriended him. And he was a centimillionaire. He was the first centimillionaire that I ever met. And for those who don't know in your audience, that's someone who with a net worth of over 100 million. I think it was like 120 or 130. And he originally taught me about how wealthy people operate and think. And he taught me about like a family office and like, you know, advisors, investment advisors for real estate, for, for different private placements, for insurance advisors. And he taught me about accountants and attorneys and, and, and this whole world that like I didn't know of. And he said, Hey, Clay, you know, I befriended him. And he's like, you know, you should start learning about real estate. So he gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as you can imagine, that's like the, the book to start out. And, you know, after that, I just consumed about, you know, bigger pockets, like all the content and got into real estate last year. And I, I just, I was like, this just makes too much sense to buy a house and live in it and have your, your rent being paid. So that was my first soiree into real estate. I, I actually left my family's company to join a firm, a, a real estate firm. And like four years into, or four months into real estate or five months, I, I got this property under contract and closed it a couple of months later. So that, that was my, my, my first experience into real estate. Oh, yeah, yeah. It starts with being around the right person. And, you know, for me, it was like just like I was running away from something, what I didn't like at my job. For you, it was like you were running towards something that you thought was a new venture. So I think it's interesting how people like get into real estate for different reasons and different motivations. So, well, cool. And so once you left the family business, you you said you went to a real estate gig. What was that gig like? Yeah. Yeah. So I had a bent toward, hey, I want to go and, and provide value to someone so I can really learn this kind of a hand on, hands-on approach. So I joined this firm, really great firm locally in my market, which is Pittsburgh. And I just helped them do some multifamily deals in the first year buying sort of you know, mom and pop sort of multifamily deals. And then I switched to a role in the director of acquisitions, helping build out a wholesaling and flipping arm. And our first year, which was this last year, which was 2021, we did over 60 deals. So I did all the acquisition work. I did all the dispositions work. And we had a lot of guys come came alongside who were super helpful with transaction coordination and kind of more high level stuff. But I was the guy in the trenches building the sales processes and getting the deals under contract. Sure, sure. So acquisitions, I mean, explain how important acquisitions are to real estate, because as we know, if you don't have any deals, you don't have any checks. Absolutely. So I, I like to think of real estate in, in you know, basically two distinct buckets. And within the context of these two distinct buckets, there are sort of nuances, right? So the distinct buckets are you get a property to closing and then and then there's all the all the real estate after closing. I actually had a guy on my podcast this past week 
that was discussing that he doesn't think there's enough content on YouTube that talks about when you buy a building, like, what do you do? Right. Which is like, which is the majority of the time that you're going to own a building. Like 99% of the time is actually owning it. But back to my analogy with the buckets, the buckets is acquisitions, underwriting, due diligence. You need to find the deal. You got to find the opportunity. And it's, it's getting more and more hard to find opportunities, you know, and, and that that's just because the markets, there's a lot more people in the market, but you just got to find creative ways to find it. And then obviously after the second bucket is the property management, the asset management, the repositioning of the asset and the renovations of the asset. Right, right. So once you finish that role, I mean, did you move into your doing your own investments, your own thing, or are you still with that company? Great question. Yeah. So I am, I still have my, my job at my, at the company that, that, that we do wholesaling for and flipping. And I am, have been buying on the side, right? So I was fortunate enough to have being very close to the market. And so I bought my first three unit. And then about six, six months later, I bought another three unit. Then about two months later, I bought another single family home. And then like four months later, I bought a six unit. So I'm doing this all while having a full-time W2 that's that's incredibly demanding. And I, I the reason why I wanted to get into the W2 is because proximity is really powerful. And that that's kind of a, a theme that that's I've tried to go after in my entire life is understanding that in order to really under to to get to the nuts and bolts of anything. You've got to go deep into it and be around people that like you referred to earlier that teach you about the specific thing that you're getting yeah. into. Yeah. So, I mean, do you recommend that? Cause not everyone should just jump in and start, you know, being their own boss right off the bat. Like being, you know, we think of it like a wholesaler or a flipper. Do you recommend how you started out or how you are still doing it where you're kind of working with another investor partnering and learning those foundational building blocks as you go? That's a really good question. I, I think that you got you have to know who you are, right? In real estate, we see the 500 stories about the guy that and gal that just went out on their own and they did it, right? I'm in the camp that says, listen, I'm a little more conservative. I think that the best way to start out is to obviously get around people and network with people that know. And along the way, getting having conversations with people who know about it and, and you befriend them and, and add value. Obviously, that's super cliche, but it's true. And I, I think the best way to get in is actually house hacking. So I bought my first property, a three unit. It's a low down payment loan, right? It's a favorable financing. And you get to play landlord, you get to play contract, you get to play property manager. And that I think that those are all critical skill sets that you need, at least to understand the fundamentals of, to take your game to the next level. Plus, if we're, if we're starting earlier on our financial freedom process, we want to make sure that we can minimize or mitigate some of our biggest expenses, which is on the average American budget, it's 35% is houses. And you're doing it right now in in your three unit. So let's talk about that investor DNA you mentioned. That's something I haven't heard phrased quite like that before. Explain how knowing yourself and, and having that self-awareness is key to being the right investor, to picking the right strategy. 
Yeah. So we are sold a, we're sold the notion of we should give up control of our capital, our money, you know, in, in, in the way that we do that is we give it up to retirement accounts. We give it up to, you know, financial advisors, or we give it away in, in, in paying for online, online guru courses that are going to make us flip a hundred houses in our first year. And I say, no, let's take back control of our capital, not only our financial capital, which I speak about a, a lot, but also our intellectual capital, right? And so what that looks like is understanding who you are as an investor. Not every investor is actually going to thrive in a role of buying multifamily properties or short-term rentals or single-family homes. Like I hate single-family homes. Like I bought a per single-family home, excuse me, and every time I go out and go to this property, I'm like, why did I ever buy this? I, I I can't believe I bought this property, but I had to make the mistake. But all along the road, I realized that the it's more important to get clarity early, to understand who you are as an investor and what you bring to the table. People like to pretend and think that they can do things that they can't do. Now, I don't say, listen, shore up your weaknesses. But what I do say is, in the in my example, is I, I am... I'm an acquisitions guy. I can underwrite deals. I can find deals. I can build relationships with people. That's my background. And like, I shouldn't be the guy that's like overseeing property management or or overseeing renovations. That's just not me. And I know that, you know, I made the mistakes and I know that. So that you can extrapolate that and say, okay, what type of asset do I actually want to own for 10 years? Instead of saying, I just want to speed up my way to financial freedoms and, and go and buy the, you know, $15,000 membership or a mentorship program. It's important to know who you are and get clarity on that first. And that's what I, a lot of times I teach my clients, like before you go into going into a multifamily or buying mobile home parks or ATMs or self-storage or whatever it is, know who you are as an investor and what you can play the long-term game is. Because if you can go and do something every single day and lose at it, Right. And not, and not make the money at it. That's what, that's one of the litmus tests I say, because you enjoy it so much. You're going to beat out the competition. And in the market, in the real estate market that we're currently in, there's so much competition of people that are, that are, you know, they're not following their core investor DNA and they lose, they lose. Because there are so many strategies. And from, from my perspective, I mean, I would say that to somebody like buy your first deal, whether it's a home, a condo, or just buy it and then, you know, figure out what you like and don't like. Like obviously don't buy a bad deal, but figure out what you like about that and what you don't like. And as you know, with multifamily, you know, you, you have the privilege of like wearing fewer hats because the scale's bigger. But but just knowing that investor DNA, uh, a good way to do that's journaling. I mean, daily journaling can do that for you hundred percent. And then, you know, just taking, you know, learning, talking to people that you look up to, they can kind of be your guidepost. What do you think about that as well? That's a good, that I think journaling is very helpful. Yeah. One of the things that I've actually heard, and this is not in this specific context, but asking people that are close to you, what do you think are my gifts? What are my core skill sets? Like my yeah. three top gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and what you can do is if you see what your gifts are from these people, you can say, Oh, you're really good at talking. You're very personable. You're really good at talking to people or you're detail oriented. And then taking those top specific gifts and then applying them to whatever context you're applying them to and related to your investing journey, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to save you so much heartache. It's going to save you so much heartache. I know guys 
that, you know, spent five years buying single family homes and they realized five years later that, that it was like the worst decision that they bought single family homes. They, they're trying to sell them all now and it's just a pain in the butt. So, you know, do that homework up front to get clarity on what, who you are as an investor. And it's going to make your life so much easier. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love your approach to that uh, investor DNA. So let's, let's shift gears and talk about this, the strategy you're very passionate about. And I've never even heard it phrased this way. So maybe you can start with a definition and then go from there. But what is cash flow banking? Right. So I, I have to tell you a little bit about how I originally heard about this topic, this concept. So I'm going to go back to the, the conversation that I had earlier about my mentor. So I realized that you know, in order for me to get to be uh, as wealthy as this guy or more, to have financial freedom and most importantly, abundance, I needed to think and act like the wealthy. You and I both know that real estate is amazing, right? Like real estate is tax advantage. You got cash flow, you have depreciation, you have appreciation, you have debt pay down. I mean, it is, it, it's, it's one of the, the crown jewels assets that you can invest in, in if you're an American, right? If you're a United States citizen, but one of the other crown jewel assets, it's, it's not even an investment vehicle. It's a savings vehicle and very wealthy families like the Rockefellers, Rockefellers, the Rothschilds and the Romneys have used this specifically designed life insurance to warehouse their money, to put their money in that gives them four to 6% uninterrupted interest on their money. And then they take that money that they would have flown into a bank, a normal bank, and then they go in and leverage it to buy real estate, to buy businesses, to pay for marketing expenses. And they use the cash flow, the the value, the production that they got from investing in those assets to pay back their own personal bank. That's that's what I've learned. There's so many other benefits to it. There's there's creditor protections, there's guarantees, you know, guaranteed growth. Guaranteed on the principal, their their death. There's a death benefit that you can pass to your heirs tax free. It is a really amazing saving vehicle that has been used by the ultra wealthy and can be structured in a way that can accelerate our our path to financial freedom for any any person and any person. Yeah, so kind of go in a little bit deeper because from from my upbringing, you know, I've raised with Dave Ramsey. And so I always bought term. And so what's the difference between this? And obviously you're not making money from, we're not pitching you on anything because you know, you're not selling this. This is something that wealthy people have used. It's, it's all we're saying here. So I want to dig deeper on this strategy. Is it you buy a whole life uh, insurance policy and then you just wait and it goes up in value and then you can leverage off of it? Great question. So I agree with Dave Ramsey. The whole life insurance that is sold by your local Northwestern Mutual or Mass Mutual agent is an atrocious way to save your money. And so I agree with him in exactly what he says. The reason why I agree with him is the way that he talks about the structuring of these policies of a normal life insurance policy is different than the way that I structure it. So the guarantees are you have to pay a, a premium to pay for your life insurance. When you pay a premium, which is like a mortgage payment, you can think about this as a mortgage payment. You pay either monthly, quarterly, or annually. When you pay in that premium, 
you get a cash value growth in your account. Now, conventionally, when you use a whole life insurance that is not structured for early cash value, it takes years for you actually for their actual to be cash value to show up in your account, which is for any real estate investor and for any person looking to get to financial freedom, that's a huge no-no, right? Because you're getting a negative return on your investment for the for 15 years. You don't have any, it doesn't catch up for 15 years. The way that we structure them, we add term insurance, we add riders to the policy themselves. So all that that means is we have the base policy, the premiums that you would pay to get the life insurance. And then we have basically these these additional things that we put on the side of the life insurance policy that give you early liquidity. So instead of waiting, you know, 10 years to get your, you know, to get part of your money back in the first year, you get access to 70% of the money that you put in. Okay. So people will hear that and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm not getting access to hundred percent of my money. And I would say, listen, I felt the same exact way when I originally heard about this. You have to pay for the death benefit. You have to pay for your insurance costs. So there's a cost of putting your setting up one of these policies. Now, depending on your health, depending on your age, usually between the the third year and the sixth year, that's when you break even. And then your and then your cash value that you put in is going to be that compounded four to six percent every single year. Does that all make sense? Yeah, yeah. So should someone, you know, do you still have your old term insurance policy or you just said there's like a rider to it? Yeah. So you can think of the the rider as just a way that we structure the policy so that we decrease my commissions or any life insurance commissions. Sure. You decrease the the your death benefit, which gives you an earlier cash value into the policy. So that's all you have to when when you think about that specifically. Okay. That's all it is. Okay. And you can use the cash value for any purpose to invest, to live off of. So here's what I do with it because I eat my own cooking. A lot of a lot of times specifically with these types of products, people just sell them and they don't use them to invest. Yeah. So what I do is I I put my specific amount every year into it and then I take out policy loans. And I invest in my deals with them. So I, I took out policy loans to buy this single family burr that I did. And then I refinanced and paid my policy loan back. Okay. Okay. So my money is still in my account working. And then I have that asset, right? So you, it would have been a similar sort of situation if you just would have used cash. But if you look at over the long period, 20, 30, 40 years, the amount of compounded compounding of your money at four to six percent is millions of dollars of difference in terms of the amount of the amount of capital that you can have in your own banking system right huh so so it's like you have like a forced savings account you're paying for your insurance and it's like an ira that you can tap into at any time essentially exactly it's like an ira without any sort of the governmental regulations to pull out the capital right and the, the the really good thing about it is you define the payback period. Mm-hmm. So I always analogize this. It's it's very similar to equity in real estate, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a home equity line of credit, which I do have on one of my properties, 
or a line of credit on one of my properties. When you pull out a line of credit, you can go and go and buy something. You can buy whatever you want with it. You could do the same exact thing with the with the policy loan. I just use it to buy assets so that I can continue to pay back my bank, right? But you can go and buy a car with it. There are ways to use it to buy a car. We can get into that later if you'd like to. And you, you actually end up winning by using this type of thing for buying a car instead of paying cash. But I, you can think about it as a line of credit, but you define the payment terms, right? So you only have to pay the interest every year. So say you take a $100,000 loan out, you only have to pay the interest. So if you need a big, you have a big business expense and it's going to take you two or three years to get that capital back, right? Say you invest in some uh, marketing you know, thing that's going to take two or three years and you use the policy loan to, to buy the, the marketing thing. Well, you don't have to pay back the policy loan like you have to pay back a line of credit or a mortgage. You define the terms, which is really attractive for real estate investors in particular. So they don't have like, if it's a hard money loan, you don't have someone knocking on your door. So when can somebody expect this little nest egg to get big enough to where it actually starts to move the needle? You can buy assets with it. I mean, I, I started buying in my first year. You know, when you open up a policy like this, like I said, you have 70% of access to your capital in your first year. So, you know, second year, it's like 80%. Third year, it's like, depending, it could be 95, 90, you know, and then it could break, I mean, then it could break even. So I used it in the same year to to do that. Gotcha. And so that's where you were saying, like by the fourth or fifth year, you know, you've kind of broken even, you can access all your capital. You, yep. You can access your capital. And by that period, you're starting to get, you know, 1% to, in, in terms of your IRR, 2% tax-free returns. So this is all tax-free growth. So what that means is, you know, it, it, depending on what your tax bracket is, it could be, you know, one or two percentage points higher than if it was just, you know, in, in a taxable account. Gotcha. Yeah, this has been interesting. So like, where can somebody learn more about if they wanted to take out one of these policies? Yeah. So, you know, I have my, my podcast, Creative Capitalist. You can get me, you know, Clay at creative-capitalist. You can email me. You can text me. I give out my phone number, 724-708-6677. Text me, call me. I, I love to talk about it. It's not right for everyone, but for a lot of, especially entrepreneurs, real estate investors, it's it's a really good it's a really good thing to implement. Cool. Well, let's shift gears here and talk about like how you think long term. Before off camera, we talked about your vision of helping ten thousand entrepreneurs reach financial freedom, and what really got you into thinking big and thinking like long term like that. Right. So it, it, it's all a core part of my investor DNA. Right. So I love real estate, but real estate doesn't get me up at night. You know, keep me up at night and get me up in the morning. It's just boring, blocking and tackling, great cash flow. Love it. But I unfortunately never really experienced total financial abundance in my life. You know, my my family lost pretty much everything in 2008. And before that, I, I we did it. We we lived pretty we lived pretty well, but I was never in a position to experience a lot of financial freedom. And I think that we, as a, as human beings, are at our best, at our highest self when we are financially free. And when I say that, I mean 
we give back more. We're we're more we're more open. We're, we want we we go and invest in more experiences. And the moment that when I talk to someone and I help them with something like this, and the the moment that I see that that it clicks, and they say, "Yeah, like I, I'm going to get the financial freedom," and the amount of relaxation that they have, and and they say, "You know, I can go I can go and be a, a better dad or a better mom, or I can I can." Take my one of my goals is to take my mother and my father on an all inclusive trip to Luca, Italy. I mean, I'm talking vineyards, I'm talking the best of the best, and I can't do that now. I can't now. I'm close to it, you know, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. But the amount of joy that that fills me up with to give to the people that I have, and, and, and when I see people that say, I just have financial, I have. I can I can spend more time with my dog. I can be a better human being because I can be present. I'm not constantly thinking about scrimping and saying and delaying my life and deferring it. And that's such a shame because we're we're meant to experience. We're meant to give back. And this is sort of my way of, of thinking, hey, you know, I, I believe I was put here for a reason and I found it. I found the reason why I'm here. And it's it's helping people get over their kind of their financial, the, the narrative that's in their mind that, that, you know, the conventional narrative of how to get to financial freedom and abundance, break that and say, I can be so much more abundant and I can be abundant in my relationships, in my life. And unfortunately, our culture is a capitalistic culture. Well, that's fortunate and unfortunate. And it revolves around our ability to produce and, and have money. So I'm just a facilitator for that. Yeah, it, it is all up here. You know, it starts there. And, you know, and I think what goes beyond that too is, is you're impacting those people that are closest to you, you know, your family members, friends, colleagues, and it just creates a ripple effect because a lot of people watch the YouTube videos, take the courses, and then they don't do anything with it. So it's another level to, to, to see, you know, to hear back from people, oh, this is what I did with your advice, and and I'm sure that's been very fulfilling for you. Um, I mean, what would you do if you if you if you were totally financially free? What would uh, be the first so, thing that you would do? So I would, you know, I would do more, do more trips, you know, give more, and not that I already, not that I don't give now or don't right. take trips now, but it would just be more abundance. It would be more frequent, and, and surely that would lead to more happiness, you know. Because those those magic moments are repeated over and over in quicker frequency rather than once, twice, three times a year. So that that's for me, that's that's abundance. And so how how can somebody begin to build this abundance mindset and eliminate the scarcity mindset? Yeah, so I got uh, I, I was not always like this. Actually, the moment that I sw- that I flipped the switch in my head. That, that I need to change the way I view the world because scarcity is the greater, the greatest destroyer of wealth. It, it's not, it's not like who we are. It's, it's not, you know, investing in a bad piece of real estate. It's not investing in a bad stock or crypto like Inu coin at craters or whatever. It's you. It's scarcity. And if you, if you are constantly in a consumerist, behavior. You're thinking like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consume everything. I'm going to hold everything back. I'm going to scrimp. I'm going to save. You don't think abundantly. You don't think production. And abundance isn't about like 
let's all run in a field and like levitate and, and, you know, sing songs. Abundance is about having your decisions governed, not by scarcity, but governed by value. When you think abundantly, you can create more in the world. You focus on how can I serve more people versus how can I take from more people, right? You, you don't, you don't try to, you don't think about stealing and stealing is not just like going to your, your local giant or, you know, your local grocery store and shoplifting. Stealing is like stealing moments from people because you don't want to pay for the bill for your friend, right? Stealing is like, I don't want to go out and, and experience this specific thing with, with my brother because, or my sister, because you know what? I, I'm just not, I'm not in that financial position. It cripples our daily lives. And so that's, that's why I, I'm, I'm so passionate about the abundant versus the scarcity mindset. And when you, when you're in abundance, you focus on your, the person that you're serving, how you can serve them better, how you can create an environment that they flourish better. And if you start to think that way, you know, for example, Three years ago, when I was dating my now fiance, she came to Pittsburgh. We had a long distance relationship. She came to Pittsburgh and it was her birthday. And I love, I love birthdays now. Like I, I I'm like I, every birthday we go on a special trip and it's just, it's incredible. And she came to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and we, we went to a restaurant at happy hour. It wasn't even that nice of a restaurant at happy hour. I didn't order a drink or an entree. For her birthday, it was 5.30. And what I got her was an old shoebox with a like old like stained panties. And I said, I didn't even wrap it. I just gave it to her. And I said, hey, I'm going to buy you, you know, you know, some underwear for your birthday. And it was like 60 bucks. And like the, the, the amount for the, the meal was 60 bucks. And some people were like, okay, $120 for a birthday. Like, you know, some people, that's all they can do right now. But, but the fact that I could have done more and I was living in scarcity and I ruined that moment. Like most people say, when I tell them that story, they're like, is she your fiance or is she broken up with you? But I allowed that narrative to define my, my daily lives. And my real estate business didn't explode. My wealth consulting, cash flow consulting business didn't explode. My life and my daily choices didn't explode in abundance until I made the decision to live in that world. And that's a decision we can make every day. You don't, when you go to the grocery store, do you grab, you know, your, your, your cereal box and look at the price? Or do you say, what is this worth it? Is this valuable to me? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that goes with everything. I mean, we, we tend to look at the price tag versus the value, whether we're on the receiving end or the giving end, we have to value ourselves accordingly. So, you know, some, some people have come to me for mentorship and, you know, I give them a price and then it's either yay or nay because they internally value, uh, you know, see what that value is for them. But for one person, it's like, oh yeah, like sign me up. And another person is like, uh, no thanks. And then they continue to do the same thing over and over. So it's like, but do they have the abundance or the scarcity? It's either either or. It's kind of like a switch. Like you said, you just flip on one day after reading enough books or, you know, in your case, that first exposure to that decamillionaire, I bet that switched your switched your uh, mindset pretty fast. Yeah. And, and understanding too, that you are your greatest asset. It's not a piece of, you know, piece of real estate or a stock or a cryptocurrency or it, it's you. And when, when you start to think that way, investing in yourself, like in a mentorship with you, you've done it already, right? You've had the experience, you've made the mistakes. 
So why don't they compress, you know, years into days and have a conversation with you? And when you're willing to invest in yourself, you're basically saying, and you're allowing a professional to, to help you along your way. What you're saying to yourself is I'm worthy. I can produce the value to pay for this. I want to invest in myself, right? When you go to a grocery store, do you get the, the highest quality food or do you, do you go get the, you know, 40% beef, 60% fat, right? Like your, your body's super important. So, so how are you treating your body? How are you treating yourself? Do you give yourself self-love or, or do you, do you get, you give yourself self-hate? There is just, it's a huge comprehensive thing that you have to think about. And that's what starts with abundance. And, and that's why, that's why the way that's, what I teach my clients to do. And that's what I do in my life because it's, it's a total game changer. Have you by chance, Clay, have you done any sort of like scripting or law of effort, law of attraction techniques? Yeah. So I've, I've done a, a pretty much everything, right? Like I've gone to the Tony Robbins stuff. Like I've done, I paid for coaches, like performance coaches. I, uh, what I do every morning is I read my goals. I read a script of, what I want my life to be like. It's December 24th, 2024. You know, I have three people working for me in my wealth consulting business. We go on a yearly retreat every year with the spouses. They feel like in my context, they can do better than in any other context. I have $30,000 a month in passive income. I mean, I do it all, right? Because like, I believe you're you're aligning your, your subconscious mind with what direction you're going in. Yeah. Yeah. When I wrote down on that notebook paper last year, uh, what I wanted, it all came true (laughs) and I'm still just in disbelief at all that. Um, it was from listening to a mentor like you, or it it was a YouTube video and they were talking about it. And it, you know, I wrote down, you know, you know, I have, I have left my job at this date. Sure enough, it happened. I have this many houses. Sure enough, it happened. I have this much income. Sure enough, it happened. And it's like, wow, huh? I wish, and now I do that with everything in my life and it, everything just grows and rises. So it works. It starts it, up it, in your it, head. It totally works. And you know, the, the, the perfect example is you, in order to have, in order to hit the next level, what I've realized is it's about intentionality, right? Like if you're going to the gym and you just started going to the gym or just started working out, you can just go in the gym and like lift up dumbbells and like bench press a little bit. And you're like, holy crap, this is so easy, right? But if you've been going there for years and you put in the work, it's intentionality. It's, it's you know, if I lift this, you know, dumbbell this specific way, I'm going to get this specific result. And with food, if you want to be super fit or, or in, our, in our personal finances, if we want to be per, fit, fit financially, it's about intentionality. And like you said, the scripting, when you get so intentional about the direction that you're going in and, and who you want to work with and who you want to be around, you have a vivid vision for your life. It, it just falls into place uh, much easier than if you're just kind of like, throwing yourself around and, and trying to figure it out along the way. That never works. Yeah. Well, I know we're getting up on time here, but I have a few quick questions shifting gears since your role is as uh, you know, in acquisitions, any tidbits, any advice for people that are you know looking for deals that need help on the acquisition side? Totally. In this market, people respect speed. 
And speed comes from confidence and confidence comes from certainty. Certainty comes from intentionality. So you have to know what you want related to your investing goals. Maybe talk to this gentleman here, right? Maybe talk to him about how do you, how do you build a plan, right? In speed, understand you got your lending relationships, you got everything going on and you, you know, exactly what you're going, you know, get, get yourself into and speed wins the game. You know, for example, I just got a six unit. I've just bought a six unit. You know, the, the, I called the seller off Craigslist of all places. I called the seller. The seller gave me a basic, I'm like, it was a rental ad. I said, Hey, are you interested in selling this building? And she's like, maybe, you know, I've been thinking about it. I gave her a full price offer as is within like two hours. This is a three unit multifamily building that I didn't even go in. Now, I don't recommend that to everyone because I've seen a lot of houses in my day, right? But you need to know what you're looking for and you need to work with someone maybe that can help you figure that out or just figure it out on your own. Yeah, confidence is key. And and sellers see that through you, whether it's over the phone or in person, more so in person. They can see that confidence. They know if you're a true professional or not by the way you appear and, and talk. Awesome. Well, Clay, I have a last few parting questions for you. And this is called the triple threat. It's the same three questions I ask each guest. The first one is, what has been the app, tool, or resource that's been the biggest game changer for your business? The app, tool, or resource. I like to habit track. I like habit track. I mean, this is probably like a cop out, but <laughs> I like to ha- like visually track my habits every day. And so I just use like an Excel document, but there's like a million habit tracking apps, but I'm really intentional about my habits. Like, what am I doing? Right. Like what, what's going to move me closer to my goals and health wise, relationship wise, financially, everything. And so, you know, finding a habit tracker and breaking it down at what you need to do to get there. Critical. Good. Question two, what has been your biggest failure in the last year? And why do you think that happened? My biggest failure in the last year, I think it's not, it was not realizing my investor DNA sooner. It was not realizing who I am as a person sooner. I was pretending. I was pretending that Clay Hepler was this, you know, going to be this certain specific person. And when I dug in, like you said, the journaling, the journaling was huge. When I journaled about, who am I? What do I bring to the world? And what do I want to, what do I want to bring to the world? It was a totally different answer. And, and I was really helped by my fiance. Actually, she was, she was incredibly supportive, but it was, it was not jumping into this, you know, helping entrepreneurs, high producers and real estate investors setting up these specifically designed policies to get them the financial freedom faster, sooner. <laughs> So on that topic, our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial, lifestyle, or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you specifically? Yeah. Freedom means to me that I can help my parents and my fiance's parents retire and help my rental properties in my in my life, you know, my my life work in this entrepreneurial life work, helping them live the life that, that, you know, they've lacked for the last two decades. 
I like that. Yeah. When you're doing it for other people, it's, it's a little more inspiring. <laughs> Amen. Cause when you do it for yourself, I mean, like, for example, when I left my job last year, I, that was all about me. Like it was my job is my disdain for it. And then after that, I felt, I felt good, but I felt a little bit empty. Like I had just done this all for myself. And then I, I wasn't using my time after that efficiently. So then I had to shift my focus of, okay, what can I do for uh, somebody else with this, with this time? And part of that's this podcast. So that's one way that manifested in my life. Yeah, man. I, you know, the, co- the content you put out and the questions you asked, really, really good stuff. And, and I think that people, especially, you know, now more than ever are, have a hunger to get into, you know, get to financial freedom. You know, people are thinking alter- more and more people are thinking alternatively in the, in the, the value that you give with the podcast. Love it. Thank you. Where can listeners learn more about you and your life work? Well, I already, you know, told everyone, I, I kind of missed the memo earlier. I was, I was <laughs> like, Oh, I, I guess we're la- wrapping up the podcast here. Let me just, so <laughs> But you can get me, my website is creative-capitalist.com, creative-capitalist, spell it as it sounds. Clay at creative-capitalist is my is my email. You can text me at 724-708-6677. I'm expecting some spam calls, but you know I'm going to pick them up anyway. And, and I, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Clay Hepler. Reach out to me. I, I love having these conversations. And whether it's helping you guys out with you know, setting up your own banking system or just ex- talking to you about, you know, my real estate experience or my alternative investing experience. I love to talk to people about this. So feel free to reach out. Well, thanks for being an open book today. It's been a pleasure hearing from you and meeting you and learning how you're doing it as, as a young guy in the profession. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.